welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Good Culture, a company making naturally fermented dairy products, including my favorite, their cottage cheese. This is a food I loved as a kid, and I stopped eating it when I realized what was hiding in most brands. But my love was reignited when I found Good Culture. It has 19 grams of protein in every single served cup and is low carb, keto, gluten-free, and gut-friendly. They even have lactose-free varieties. And Good Culture's cottage cheeses are the ultimate protein-packed addition to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You can mix it into a bowl of oats, spread it on some toast, or even enjoy it on its own as a light snack. And if you've got a bit of a sweet tooth, their low-sugar fruit-on-the-bottom cottage cheese is amazing. It only has 3 grams of sugar and 15 grams of clean protein. Good Culture is a certified B Corporation, and they donate 1% of all profits to support regenerative agriculture. So ditch the yogurt and the really high sugar snacks and head to goodculture.com forward slash wellnessmama to save on your next purchase. They have a coupon there just for our listeners. You can also find their products at Whole Foods, Sprout, Target, Publix, Kroger, and many other stores. Here's another tip. Check out their cultured sour cream varieties while you're there. And again, that website is goodculture.com slash wellnessmama, G-O-O-D-C-U-L-T-U-R-E.com slash wellnessmama. This podcast is sponsored by Haya Health Children's Vitamins. That's H-I-Y-A. Did you know most children's vitamins are basically just candy in disguise? Often they're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, a lot of chemicals, artificial flavors or colors, or gummy junk that kids should never eat often with synthetic forms of vitamins that aren't even that bioavailable for our kids. But Haya is different. They're made with zero sugar, zero gummy junk or fillers or additives, and it tastes great. So it's perfect even for picky eaters. Haya is designed to fill the most common gaps in modern children's diets and to provide full body nourishment for our kids with a taste that we won't have to fight them on. They are manufactured in the USA with globally sourced ingredients that are each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption and quality verified. Haya arrives straight to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule, and your first month comes with a reusable glass bottle that your kids can personalize with stickers, and then every month comes in a no-plastic refill pouch of fresh vitamins, which means Haya isn't just great for your kids, it's also good for the environment and reduces waste. You can learn more at hayahealth.com slash wellnessmama, and the code wellnessmama will save you 50%. So again, that's H-I-Y-A health.com slash wellnessmama. Make sure to use the code wellnessmama to save 50%. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with a knee on the end. And this episode is all about bone health. I'm here with Kevin Ellis, who's known as the Bone Coach, and he's a certified integrative nutrition coach, podcaster, YouTuber, bone health advocate, and the founder of bonecoach.com. And his story began with an osteoporosis diagnosed in his early 30s. And this began a journey for him of both his own healing and helping a lot of other people as well. And today he's not only transformed his own health, but he's dedicated his life to helping others with the same problem. And through his unique three-step process and coaching programs, his team of experts has helped over 15 people in 1,500 cities around the world. And we talk a lot in depth about the different facets of this, things like the difference between osteopenia and osteoporosis, the baseline testing and scans that are good to get before they're actually recommended and how to know if you're at risk, the top things we can do for our kids to help them actually reach their peak bone mass around age 30, more reasons to avoid excess sugar consumption, the way things like fluoride and environmental chemicals can affect bone health, 
the actual nutrients that you need for your bones that go far beyond just calcium and vitamin D, universally beneficial and harmful foods for the bones, and much, much more. Even if this is something that you don't think you have a potential issue with, there's a lot of really great preventative advice in here. And to his point, you might actually be surprised to know that you have some of the risk factors and that early scans can help you avoiding any actual problems. So I learned a lot. And without any further delay, let's jump in. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Katie, for having me. It's uh, super great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you, and we're going to talk all things bone health, which you are an expert in. But before we do, I have a note in my show notes that you have a goal to mentor a million kids who don't have good role models. And I would just love to hear some of the reason for the motivation behind that. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, when I was a young kid, uh, my father passed away when I was super young, when I was about two months old, and, uh, you know, had a dramatic impact on my life. I, I grew up, I had an abusive stepfather, uh, you know, some frustrating challenges in my childhood. And I, I never really had a father figure that I could look to that I felt like was teaching me the values, the lessons, the morals, all the things like that, that I really wanted to have and feel when I was a kid. You know, as I got older, I realized there are a lot of kids, you know, going through that now. And that's kind of something that I, I want to be a, a mentor, somebody who can teach them the values how can you be a good, kind, contributing uh, member to society from a really young age? And uh, eventually, I'd love to get that to the point where, you know, these kids could have an internship or something like that and a purpose-driven organization like ours. That's beautiful. I think we definitely need more of that. And unfortunately, this is, like you said, something that affects a lot of kids. And I think resources like that are going to be so helpful in the future for, and I think that creates ripples as well. Like when you help a child at a young age, it creates ripples for future generations. And that's much the same reason I've always loved working with moms. Cause I feel like if I can help moms, then that creates ripples for their kids and for generations beyond that as well. Absolutely. Well, I know that you're also an expert in all things bone health, and it seems like this came from a place of uh, kind of personal experience for you as well. I've often heard from people on this podcast and myself as well. A lot of us get into the health and wellness world trying to solve our own problems. So I would love to start broad and, and hear the story of how you got started on this journey in the first place. Yeah. And, and part of that, you know, starts with my father's passing. You know, I, he passed away when he was 35 at a really young age. And my entire life, I had this fear that I was going to follow in his footsteps to an early grade and not have the opportunity to watch my kids grow up and experience the joys of being a father. And when I was diagnosed with osteoporosis at 31, at a time when I still had all these other health issues to resolve, I thought my fate was destined to be the same. You know, I had a young daughter, son in the way. I was devastated. And I remember the day the doctor sat down with me and confirmed that I had osteoporosis. And it wasn't just like a letter in the mail, like actually sat down with me. And her exact words were, this is going to be an issue for you. Bone drugs and fracture were my future. And I walked out of that office afraid. And for the people who know me well, they know I'm, I'm typically not the most emotional person. But there, and there are very few things that are going to strike fear into my heart, but that did. And when I got home that night, I was laying on the couch across from my wife. My daughter was upstairs sleeping. And I looked up, I saw my favorite picture of her on the wall. She was a little over one year old, wearing this cute polka dot dress, standing in front of a white picket fence, blonde hair, blue eyes, innocent and sweet as could be. And I just broke down crying. And I cried hard. It was the kind of cry that empties the sum of life's burdens. And after I was done, I looked over at my wife and said, I just want to dance with my daughter on her wedding day. 
She needed her daddy. And I, I questioned whether I'd even be allowed to be there for her. And for those first couple of days and weeks, I was angry, upset, overwhelmed. I was scared. I had no idea where to start. I just wanted to know everything was going to be okay and how I was going to even figure out how to improve my health and my bones. And after a great deal of reading, research, working with doctors, consulting with people, my mindset started to shift. And once I got to the point where I started applying the things I had been learning, was actually making improvements in my health and my bones, that's when I realized just how challenging it can be for the average person, mostly the average woman who's diagnosed with osteopenia and osteoporosis, normally not you know, the young man, to figure out what they need to do to address bone loss, build bone strength, and prevent fracture. Because the prescription for 90% of women who are diagnosed is calcium, vitamin D, walking, and a bone drug. And that's woefully inadequate. And it's really that reason why I started Bone Coach and BoneCoach.com. That probably had to be quite the shock for you to be 31. And like you said, a guy, which is not the normal risk demographic and probably in very good health. I read that you were a Marine before that. It wasn't from lack of movement. It wasn't from, you know, like you were doing a lot of the things that should have potentially not put you at risk. So that had to be quite a shock to find out. And I'm curious at that age, like how did you know that you had it? And how would someone else who maybe has the early risk factors know that they might have it as well? Yeah. So, so for me, even though, you know, being a Marine, knowing how to work out, being physically active, all those kinds of things, I had that. At the, and, and I had a foundation in weightlifting and things like that when I was younger. But at the same time, I had uh, celiac disease, malabsorption of nutrients for many, many years, uh, a slew of digestive issues, low energy, poor sleep. You know, I obviously probably wasn't absorbing my nutrients. Uh, there were there were just a lot of different things. While I was in the Marines, I smoked for five years. Uh, you know, there was some drinking and things like that that took part during that time too. All these things can contribute and work against us. And typically, you're not going to be getting a DEXA scan, a bone density scan. And we'll talk about those in a minute when you're younger. But for me, because I had celiac disease, that's one of the things that we ended up pushing for. And we originally thought it was just going to be a check in the box, but turned out found out we had osteoporosis. Uh, so that was kind of a complete shock for me at that time. Gotcha. So that was the impetus for you, like going in and getting tested at that point was. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. And so are, I'm assuming those are all also then risk factors. So if someone already has celiac disease or know they have some kind of gut dysbiosis, that can be a potential risk factor for bone issues. They absolutely can. They absolutely can be risk factors for that. And in terms of like I didn't even know when I was diagnosed what osteoporosis was. So osteoporosis literally means porous bone. Uh, it's uh, characterized by either not enough bone formation, excessive bone loss, or a combination of both. And in osteoporosis, your, both your bone density and your bone quality are reduced. And that's going to increase your risk of fracture. And like I had just mentioned a bone density scan. So that's, that's kind of the gold standard of finding out how you have osteoporosis. Uh, is the dual energy x-ray absorptiometry. It's a painless test, kind of like an x-ray, but very low levels of radiation. You lay down on a machine, the machine does a scan. It tells you your bone mineral density, the actual mineral content of your bone. And then it generates a score. And the score is called a T-score. And a T-score is telling you how much your bone mass differs from the bone mass of an average healthy 30-year-old adult. So a score of zero means your bone density is equal to the norm for a healthy young adult. Score plus one, minus one, considered normal and healthy. But a T-score of negative one and uh, between negative one and negative 2.5, 
that indicates you have low bone mass, oftentimes called osteopenia, which is like a precursor to osteoporosis. And then a T-score of negative 2.5 or lower indicates you have osteoporosis. The greater that negative number is, the, so negative 2.5, negative 2.6, negative 2.7, the more severe the osteoporosis. Most women are getting these scans done by the time they're in their 50s and 60s as a check in the box. Their doctors are gonna order them, but that's too late in my opinion. If you haven't had one yet and you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, go get one. It's a good idea to get a baseline. And we don't want to avoid doing something too, just because the answer may not be something we don't want to hear, right? You can't address something also until you're aware of it. Uh, so that's, that's a really important note there that I like to make is let's be on the side of prevention, get a baseline. And that way we don't necessarily just react uh, later on in life. Yeah, that's a great point. I remember finding out when I first found out I had Hashimoto's and it was in some ways a relief because at least then I knew and I could start addressing it. And you're right. I don't think a lot of people think to get that. I haven't ever gotten a DEXA scan and I'm in my thirties, but it makes sense. And I know there's a lot of other information that can come from that as well. So it seems like a great baseline test. I'm guessing it's multifactorial, but what do we think causes osteopenia or osteoporosis? Great question. Um, and I, I try to, I try to get people to think about imagining their, their body is like a, a imagine you have a bucket of water. Okay. The bucket represents your body. The water within the bucket represents your bone mineral density, the measure of how much bone you have. And imagine that bucket has a small hole in it with a very tiny leak. And over time, over years and years, that water level gets lower and lower and lower until one day you go get that bone density scan. You realize your water is low. You have osteopenia and osteoporosis and you're shocked. I thought my bucket was full of water. And, and usually the reasons are because either you have a bunch of health issues like I did, and that's what led you to go get a DEXA scan, or you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You work out, you think you're eating healthy, you're doing everything right. You get a DEXA scan as a check in the box. You find out you have osteoporosis. Uh, in either of those scenarios, you have this reaction of how do I fix this right now? And sometimes people make quick, drastic decisions, including taking a bone drug, often influenced by our doctors to immediately plug the hole and fill our buckets back up with water. And we do this before identifying where the hole is, what caused it, or if there was even a hole in the first place, because your bucket may not have ever been full of water to begin with. So let's talk about the first one. Is there a hole in your bucket? Are you actively losing bone? A single bone density scan will not tell you that. And you need to know the answer to that before you make other decisions because something could be causing that loss, could be multiple things. So the test we wanna use here is called a serum CTX test or a CT low peptide test. This is a bone turnover marker test and it's looking at the level of bone breakdown that's taking place in the body. Okay, it's measuring these collagen bone protein fragments. If that, if that level is elevated or really high, that can be an indicator of active bone loss. Uh, so that's one of the ways to tell in between DEXA scans if you're still actively losing bone. Then the question becomes, what caused the hole? And this is leading more into your question of what contributes or could have contributed to the bone loss and osteoporosis. And a lot of people don't know this, but there are multiple types of osteoporosis. There's primary osteoporosis, which is typically related to a decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women. Estrogen has a protective effect on bone. When estrogen levels decrease as they do during menopause, 
it's going to cause an increase in the activity level of cells that break down bone. But then there's a whole nother cause of osteoporosis. That's secondary osteoporosis. This is a category I fell into. And this is where osteoporosis occurs as a result of, you know, behaviors, conditions, diseases, disorders, medications, a variety of those different things. Most people who are unexpectedly diagnosed in their 30s or 40s or 50s and 60s, they have or had a secondary cause. Okay. And that's what we, that's what we have to go and explore and figure out. And then the last part is, and this is important for kids too. Did you just not start with a full bucket? Did you just not achieve peak bone mass? Because what's important to keep in mind, if you are diagnosed with osteoporosis, it does not automatically mean that you're actively losing bone. You may just not have built up enough bone in your younger years. Up to 90% of your bone mass is acquired by age 18. And it peaks by the time you turn 30. So by the time you turn 30, your bucket is about as full as it's going to be. So if when you're younger, you had an eating disorder, poor, poor nutrition, low calcium and vitamin D intake, if you smoked or drank excessively, if you led a sedentary lifestyle, or if you took certain medications, those all could have prevented you from achieving peak bone mass and starting with a full bucket. So many directions to go from there. I think the first being, so as parents, what can we be aware of to make sure hopefully our kids do reach that full bone mass from an early age? Like what are the factors we want to be really careful about? Yeah. Yeah. Especially with young kids to um, get, get them active, get them outdoors playing, get them playing sports, any, any of those activities when they're younger that are going to surprise their bones. We want to, you know, soccer bone, bone density, um, and the legs of soccer players is usually great because it's multi-directional. They're changing direction really quick. They're these short, intense bouts, and then they're off. Uh, so that's great. Resistance training is great. Getting them active and walking and moving, all fantastic. One thing I would say for kids too is uh, sugar. We got to pay attention to sugar. Okay, we don't want to have uh, be consuming a lot of different sugar. Uh, excessive sugar intake could exacerbate vitamin D deficiency. Researchers have actually found that a high intake of fructose is going to increase the expression of an enzyme responsible for degrading vitamin D. And that's also going to decrease the expression of an enzyme that helps synthesize vitamin D too. So uh, it's going to reduce our internal absorption of calcium. It's going to increase our urinary excretion of calcium and magnesium. These are important minerals for our bones. So it's not just, you know, I know we hear all the time not to eat sugar and not to be giving our kids a bunch of cookies and cakes and candies and all those things, but there's good reason for it too, for the health of our skeleton. So those are some important things. Chemicals, uh, paying attention to chemicals when we're younger uh, too. I would say, and I'm sure this is, this is about the most common advice out there. Uh, and one of the easiest low hanging fruit that we can do is trying to shift to consuming organic produce and things like that if possible. That way we're not getting things like uh, glyphosate uh, and some of the other, you know, some of the other damaging chemicals and things like that out there. We don't want to be consuming those things for our kids. Uh, and then even your personal care products to pay attention to the things that you're using there. I'll even just say, you know, when I first started uh, saying that you had fluoride free toothpaste and things like that came out, we jumped on that immediately like in our house, we were using some other uh, brands and things like that, but fluoride can actually not be the best thing long-term for your gut health, uh, for your bone health, especially if your kids are swallowing that stuff uh, long-term instead of spitting it out in the sink, 
probably not going to be the best thing there either. Uh, so those are a few things from a, a kid's perspective too that I would consider incorporating. And then for adults as well, you said age 30 is kind of when you're optimally going to hit your peak bone mass. And ideally that's when it's going to be really good for people who maybe get a DEXA scan or start having some of these, noticing some of these symptoms and find out their bone mass isn't ideal. And maybe they're in their thirties or forties. Um, I would assume from hearing your story that that doesn't mean all is lost and that it can't, some of that damage can't be undone, but what does that process look like if someone gets similar news or just finds out they maybe are, have some of these risk factors and are kind of on that path? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, number one, no, it does not mean you're permanently fragile, right? If you get a diagnosis of osteoporosis, and this doesn't mean, you know, no matter what age you are, you can build bone strength in the age, it just becomes more challenging. The older you get and the more bone you lose, there are fewer cells involved in the process, that process becomes less efficient. Uh, so we want people to want to be on the side of prevention and not reaction. So let's say you find this out, your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even, you, you're still going to follow the same process. The first step has to be, you have to identify and address all those root cause issues of bone loss and bone damage, right? If there are things working against you actively, you have to address those things first. You got to know what tests you need to order and get done. You have to know how to understand your results. You got to be your own best advocate. And this is with any health condition, not just osteoporosis. You, you have to, you can't just put all your faith into one single person and expect them to do everything uh, for you. And then make sure that that's going to get you your best health. You still need to be kind of guiding and directing that process. The second part of this is nourish. You need to restore the raw materials and nutrients that you need for stronger, healthier bones through diet, through digestion, through absorption. You need to make sure you have the right inputs to produce stronger outputs because you can't rebuild something that's not there, right? And that's going to happen on three layers. Are you taking in the right nutrients in the right amounts? Are you actually absorbing those nutrients? If you have digestive issues, those digestive issues can actually be a source of inflammation that contributes to bone breakdown in the body. And then are those nutrients actually making it to the cell level? And a lot of times, you know, people are just told, take your calcium, take your vitamin D, but there are other nutrients that are important beyond just that. Uh, magnesium. Magnesium is unbelievably important, not just for our bones, but for our overall health. One of the primary functions of magnesium is that we, meet, we need it to make proteins in our body. So when you eat proteins in your diet, be it from animals, eggs, fish, dairy, beans, peas, brown rice, whatever, through the process of digestion, you break those proteins down. And once we absorb those amino acids, we can then rebuild them in our bodies into various proteins. But you need magnesium to do this. And just about everything in the body is a protein or is made by pro, uh, proteins. You know, bones are 50% protein by volume. Another important nutrient that's often overlooked is vitamin K. Okay. There are two types of uh, vitamin K or well, at least for the sake of this conversation, let's, let's just say K1 and K2. K1 can be converted to K2, but not efficiently. K2 is what's most important for bone health. There are some major forms. There's MK4, there's MK7, uh, but vitamin K2 is going to aid in bone mineralization. And that's super important too. So it's more than just calcium and vitamin D. Uh, and then the last part of this is, uh, the, I would say the last part of this process would be build. You need to build strength of body, strength of mind, strength of bone. You need to reduce your stress, improve your sleep, get an exercise plan in place that's going to help you actually build bone strength. 
and do those things in a way that's going to prevent, you know, fracture and injury and things like that. So that's the high level. And that's pretty much the same across the board for people, no matter how old you are. Yeah. And it seems like great advice across the board. Like you said, even for kids starting at a young age, make sure they have those nutrients optimized and they're getting a varied diet. It seems like you've mentioned the absorption piece a couple of times. And I think that's a thing that is not talked about enough in modern society is not only is our diet nutrient depleted compared to what it was a couple generations ago, but we're likely not absorbing things nearly as well because of all of the other things that are inputs in our bodies and the chemicals we're exposed to. Um, it also seems like there is a very direct connection here between bone loss and gut issues. So can you talk more about that and kind of what to be aware of related to gut health and if that can be part of the problem? Absolutely. Yes. Major connection between gut health and bone health. So I, I know I was talking about a bucket earlier, but let's forget about the bucket for a second. Let's just say, you know, we're going to use a completely different metaphor. Think of our bodies and our bones as being like plants in order to grow. They need nutrients and the right conditions, right? So most people focus so much on the nutrients the salads, the smoothies, the supplements, that they fail to consider the soil. Our gut is like the soil. We absorb almost everything here. So when we take in food or supplements, we start to break them down into smaller pieces in our mouth. That food makes its way into our stomach where it's churned in this acidic mix to break it down even further. Then it makes its way to our small intestine, our soil. And this is where our nutrients are broken down to their smallest form to be absorbed by us, the plants. But in order to absorb anything, we need roots in our soil, right? Our roots are called villi. These tiny little hair-like projections cover our small intestine and are responsible for absorbing nutrients. They absorb the nutrients from the food you eat and then shuttle those nutrients into your bloodstream so they can travel to where they're needed in the body. Whether that's for healing a cut on your hand, growing your hair or fingernails, or rebuilding stronger bones. The job of our roots, our villi, is so important that the total surface area they use to absorb nutrients is the size of a football field. How amazing is that, right? But when we have poor digestion and our gut health isn't optimal, we can't properly break down our food. And when we can't properly break down our food, nutrients won't be available. And if nutrients aren't available, the villi won't be able to absorb them. And the body won't have the raw materials and resources needed for stronger, healthier bones. So where do we have to start? Well, we need to start with are nutrients making it to your soil. If you have bloating, belching, burping, excessive gas, even diarrhea after meals, or you feel like food just sits in your stomach and stagnates for a long time, there's a good chance you have low stomach acid. Age, stress, nutrient deficiencies, gut infections are all contributors. And surprisingly, you know, one of the best you know, indicators of low stomach acid is reflux, which is shocking, right? And when people have reflux, what do they take for it? The same thing I took for a number of years, Tums and proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec, Prevacid, Nexium, Omeprazole. Like most people who take PPIs, I mistakenly thought I had too much stomach acid and I ended up suppressing what little stomach acid I did have. And the reason that's a problem is because we need stomach acid to properly break down and extract nutrients from our food, like amino acids, the building blocks of protein. I mentioned earlier, our bones are 50% protein by volume. They need amino acids. Calcium is the primary mineral constituent of our bones. Low stomach acid reduces its absorption. Magnesium, iron, B12. If you have low stomach acid, your soil will be starved of these nutrients and others. The next question about, about you know, gut health, does your soil have the right balance of bugs? 
other problems are going to arise if your soil has the wrong balance of bugs, which dysbiosis, the presence of bad bugs, gut infections, or even good bugs in the wrong place, SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. These bugs make up our microbiome. When this is out of balance, it's going to negatively affect your body's ability to absorb nutrients, and it's going to contribute to leaky gut and systemic inflammation, both of which are bad for your body and your bones. So again, how do you know if your bugs are not balanced? You might experience the bloating, the belching, the excessive gas, the heartburn, the constipation, diarrhea, even fatigue. Those can all be indicators. And then the last part of, of the digestive health picture kind of ties into one of the reasons why I developed osteoporosis, you know, at a younger age is there are multiple conditions and diseases that affect your body's ability to absorb nutrients. So are your roots even working properly? Celiac disease is one of them. And it's a primary reason for my osteoporosis. How does that contribute to nutrient malabsorption and bone loss? When you ingest gluten, those villi, our roots become blunted to the point where they can't do their job. And so for me, my roots effectively became damaged. My body was starved of key bone healthy nutrients like calcium, phosphorus, and vitamin D. Those are usually absorbed a little higher up in the small intestine where that damage is more likely to occur. And this went on for years, had no idea calcium was being raked from my bones to serve other purposes. Uh, and you know, there's, there's a good chance that that can be a contributing factor and osteoporosis. So we need to make sure if you are still consuming gluten, you know, the TTG IGA is a great test to help with that. And then also the total serum IGA can also be a helpful test there too. That's super helpful. I was taking notes and I'm curious how your bone health is now after like going on this journey and what your progress has looked like. Yeah, absolutely. Been able to make progress along the way and improvements along the way. And, you know, we took that, we took everything that I had learned, but it wasn't just me. It was was basically taking the research uh, and all the things, and we made it actionable for other people now too. Uh, that's probably the most important thing is now we actually have, we've been able to help people in over 1500 cities around the world at this point, putting a plan in place, walking them through a three-step process uh, and putting them in front, uh, in front of highly credentialed team members and experts that Along my, in my own journey, I realized it's really hard when you put all your eggs into one person. Sometimes you need to coordinate with a lot of different people. And that's one of the things we've been able to do is put people in front of all the people that can help them get answers along the way, which is really one of the more challenging parts of the journey. I'm glad you brought up the magnesium connection too, because this is something I've been talking about for years and realizing it's so depleted in the modern diet and it's needed a lot more than we are getting often and often there's a place for supplementation. I'm curious if you can just kind of walk us through, I know you also have this all as a full approach online for people who actually need to go into the details, but just kind of an overview of what an optimal diet supplement exercise plan might look like maybe at even at different ages for bone health. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's even just start with diet and nutrition as a, a beginning place. Obviously, you know, we want to make sure we're getting the right foods, the right nutrients, if we don't have the things there to help us build bone, we're not actually gonna be able to rebuild our bones and we're not gonna be able to prevent bone loss. Uh, something I wanna point out though with diet and nutrition is every time you eat, you have the opportunity to give your body everything it needs to heal and re rebuild itself. But it's about a lot more than just drink a bunch of milk and alkalize your body with green vegetables. And people ask me all the time, what's the perfect diet? And they hate my response. It depends. 
right? We're all biochemically and genetically unique individuals. We respond to different foods and dietary approaches differently, which is why no dietary approach should be considered a rigid framework with zero flexibility. It's also why when you see someone saying, everyone should eat this specific superfood because it's guaranteed to be good for your body and your bones, make note of it, but realize it might not work for you. Because no matter how much of a superfood or health food someone claims something is or how great they say it is for your bones, if it creates inflammation in your body, it's not a health food for you. And also where you are in your health journey is going to be another important consideration. So if you're working to overcome digestive issues or bacterial overgrowth, candida, or put autoimmune disease into remission, your dietary approach will differ significantly from those who are not. General rule of thumb, anti-inflammatory diet. Um, you know, if somebody does not have a lot of different health issues and things like that, a good starting point could potentially be a Mediterranean ish type approach. If somebody is coming in and they've got, you know, autoimmune conditions and things like that, we're probably going to at least, you know, start them somewhere around a, a paleo type approach or something like that. Paleo AIP is obviously going to be important too, but especially on the more restrictive plans. So if you're on AIP or some other diet for gut health specifically, you're not going to be staying on those things. Ideally, you know, indefinitely or, or uh, as, as a long-term approach, because if, if not, you could be creating nutrient deficiencies and things like that long-term there too, uh, if you're not paying attention. Then specific foods, I would say, some universal foods that we could start incorporating now that are, that are good for a lot of people. Um, I would say small boned fish. So can get things like salmon, anchovies, sardines, herring, mackerel, those kinds of uh, fish with the bone in, you can get those in cans. Vital choice is a great place to go get those. And those have, you know, great source of protein, all the minerals that you need to support your own healthy bones. And then you've got the omega threes there too. So those are great things. If we can incorporate those, you know, do those every chance you get coconut oil. Another one is great. It's considered one of the healthiest foods on the planet, but it's great for your bones too. Okay. So the virgin coconut oil is great. It's not only been shown to help with protecting against bone loss, but actually in the, actually in the improvement of bone structure. So that's another one that could be helpful. And then also arugula. Arugula is a great leafy green, same cruciferous family of vegetables as broccoli and kale, but it's lower oxalate. Okay. And spinach is a common green that a lot of people consume, but what they don't understand is that even if you look at a container of spinach and it says it's got a lot of calcium there, most of that calcium is not bioavailable. It's bound up with oxalate. So arugula is a great one to swap for that. And also, you know, if somebody has issues with oxalates, they may have kidney stones, arthritis, joint pain, things like that. Those may be indicators. They might have a hard time breaking down and degrading that oxalate. So arugula could be a good swap there too. And then vitamin C rich foods. These are great because vitamin C is not just key for your, your body health. It's also important for your bone health. Bones are made up of this collagen protein matrix upon which minerals are laid. Vitamin C stimulates pro-collagen. It enhances collagen synthesis and it stimulates something called alkaline phosphatase activity, which is going to help with bone building cell formation. So you can get that from your citrus fruits. 
uh, kakadu plums, acerola cherries, strawberries. Those are great fruit sources. And then, you know, in terms of vitamin C rich vegetables, red and yellow bell peppers, dino kale, which is the lacinato kale, steamed broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Those are some great options in terms of food uh, to get started. And then just in terms of exercise, being active, incorporating resistance training, you want to make sure you've got two different types of stimuli going in terms of building your exercise plan, muscle pulling on bone and impact. Okay. Those are the most effective interventions for exercise. Muscle is going to pull on bone to make them stronger. That mechanical signal is going to send a chemical signal uh, to tell the bone basically to become stronger. Impact exercises, they're a great addition to. Swimmers and long distance running, they do not provide that varied impact. So long-term, those should not be the only source of exercise that someone is getting. Really important uh, uh, to outline that too. Uh, and then if we're doing resistance training, studies are going to show that the greatest effect the more intense the exercise in that five to 10 rep range, that's what's going to be best for stimulating uh, muscle and bone growth. Super helpful. I took a lot of notes. I love that you brought up things like canned sardines. I've been saying that for years of it being basically a multivitamin and I get pushback from people. Yeah. Like, it's so gross. And I'm like, I promise you can learn to love it. Maybe put some pickles with it or mustard or whatever helps you with the taste, but it's like the cheapest natural source of a lot of those things that you can get. And you're literally getting bones. So it makes sense that that would support your bones. This podcast is sponsored by Good Culture, a company making naturally fermented dairy products, including my favorite, their cottage cheese. This is a food I loved as a kid, and I stopped eating it when I realized what was hiding in most brands. But my love was reignited when I found Good Culture. It has 19 grams of protein in every single serve cup and is low carb, keto, gluten-free, and gut-friendly. They even have lactose-free varieties. And Good Culture's cottage cheeses are the ultimate protein-packed addition to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You can mix it into a bowl of oats, spread it on some toast, or even enjoy it on its own as a light snack. And if you've got a bit of a sweet tooth, their low-sugar, fruit-on-the-bottom cottage cheese is amazing. It only has 3 grams of sugar and 15 grams of clean protein. Good Culture is a certified B Corporation, and they donate 1% of all profits to support regenerative agriculture. So, ditch the yogurt and the really high-sugar snacks and head to goodculture.com forward slash wellnessmama to save on your next purchase. They have a coupon there just for our listeners. You can also find their products at Whole Foods, Sprout, Target, Publix, Kroger, and many other stores. Here's another tip. Check out their cultured sour cream varieties while you're there. And again, that website is goodculture.com slash wellnessmama, G-O-O-D-C-U-L-T-U-R-E.com slash wellnessmama. This podcast is sponsored by Haya Health Children's Vitamins. That's H-I-Y-A. Did you know most children's vitamins are basically just candy in disguise? Often they're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, a lot of chemicals, artificial flavors or colors, or gummy junk that kids should never eat. Often with synthetic forms of vitamins that aren't even that bioavailable for our kids. But Haya is different. They're made with zero sugar, zero gummy junk or fillers or additives, and it tastes great. So it's perfect even for picky eaters. Haya is designed to fill the most common gaps in modern children's diets and to provide full body nourishment for our kids with a taste that we won't have to fight them on. They are manufactured in the USA with globally sourced ingredients that are each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption and quality verified. Haya arrives straight to your door 
on a pediatrician recommended schedule. And your first month comes with a reusable glass bottle that your kids can personalize with stickers. And then every month comes in a no plastic refill pouch of fresh vitamins, which means Haya isn't just great for your kids, it's also good for the environment and reduces waste. You can learn more at HayaHealth.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama will save you 50%. So again, that's H-I-Y-A health.com slash wellnessmama. Make sure to use the code wellnessmama to save 50%. I also love that you brought up oxalates because I feel like this is another area that's not talked about when we talk about, you know, greens are great for you, have lots and lots of greens, is that there is such a range there. And often I found just genetically, a lot of people don't do great with a whole lot of leafy greens, especially raw. And you can confirm this. My understanding is that things like cooking it can actually reduce the oxalates and make it more bioavailable. Um, any other tips for that? I love the arugula one. I didn't actually know that. So I put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, bo- uh, boiling is going to have the greatest reduction in oxalates, but also with that, you, you know, you reduce some of the other nutrients there too. But the reduction is not going to be a complete reduction too. So if somebody is already, you know, if they're coming to us and they already have digestive issues and kidney stones and arthritis and joint pain, we're going to ideally, it's not like you can eliminate or it's challenging to eliminate every single food that contains oxalate, but you can make some healthy alternatives and swaps. And arugula is just an easy one to do that. Uh, And also a lot of times if people have, if they've taken antibiotics for a long time, uh, or, you know, they've, they've done some things to degrade their, their gut bacteria, one of the actual gut bacteria that breaks down and degrade oxalate, oxalobacter formagenes, that's, that's not, that could be an issue too, right? People may not actually have that, that uh, gut bacteria to help break down and degrade the oxalate. And you also mentioned bones being like kind of a collagen matrix structure, certainly like dietary supplements of collagen have gotten really popular in the last couple of years. Do you suggest those, or is there a better way to get that? Collagen supplements can absolutely be helpful, right? Because you're still getting the amino acids. The only thing to keep in mind is that collagen is not a complete protein, right? It's missing tryptophan. You still need to make sure you're, you're getting complete proteins in your diet, but, but it can be a great addition. And it's an easy addition for a lot of people too. Another alternative for upping your protein intake, which is super important, uh, you know, making sure you're hitting your protein needs is, is super important. Whey protein could be an option. If somebody can actually tolerate that, that's an important note also. And then, you know, whole foods, actual whole, whole foods, canned sardines, things like that. You don't always have to eat the canned version of things just to get the bones. You can, yes, you can still eat the other cooked salmon or baked salmon or chicken or, you know, whatever it is that you're incorporating, but incorporating that animal protein is, it's absolutely something that, you know, I think is important to be doing in your diet. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of also hormonal reasons that women often are more affected by this than men, but some of the points you just brought up made me think, especially for women, there's two really important things I wanted to highlight that you said. One being about hitting protein targets, because I've had past podcast guests and then seen firsthand in my own life that many women drastically undereat and underconsume enough protein. And this was really pivotal for me when I actually started mapping out how much protein I was eating and then making sure to get enough protein. I realized I was way below what I needed to get before. And it became so much easier to build muscle and actually lose weight even by eating more food when I got that protein in target, which it's great to know also benefits my bones. But I feel like often 
for whatever reason, women are not as encouraged to eat as much protein. And that maybe is an area of deficiency for a lot of women, along with the types of exercise that you mentioned. I feel like those impact and muscle versus bone activities are ones that on average, typically guys tend to do more often. And we see women more in like classes or gentle cardio or swimming, but that's not giving the same effect. So I'd love to just talk a little bit more about both of those, maybe some specifics on protein targets and how much is that exercise threshold? Because like I said, I saw big changes in my life from upping my protein and then doing things like sprinting, like rapid sprints, and then weightlifting really changed my body pretty drastically. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about those. Yeah. Uh, so protein targets, I would look more toward being at least at the very least, you know, if you're uh, 0.54, five times your body weight in pounds would be about the number of grams of protein that you would want. So let's say you're, you know, a hundred pound female 0.545 times your body weight uh, in pounds would be about 55 grams of protein minimum, absolutely minimum that you're going to want to be getting. Um, and you can obviously go up from there to help, especially if you are, if you've got that more intense exercise and you're actually lifting and doing the resistance and things like that, you want to have the fuel there and the nutrients there to provide that muscle growth too. Because remember what I said, when you're actually building muscle, that's going to help build bone too. So resistance training is super important. A lot of times too, what I see with exercise is people are doing maybe they're long distance cyclers or they're long distance runners and they just count the running. Maybe, maybe they run a lot of marathons or they they're clocking five, six, seven miles every single day, but they don't have any other varied exercise. Number one, you're not getting the varied impact. If you're just, you know, running same direction, there's no variation in the impact that can have a negative effect on your bones long-term. And then also if you're not actually lifting weights, building muscle strength, that's really only working, you know, for the most part, the lower half of your body, but we've got other bones and parts of our skeleton that we just can't chalk that up as the only workout that we're doing for our lower half. So uh, that's when we want to be incorporating some of the larger compound movements, the overhead presses, the deadlifts, the squats, uh, those kinds of movements that engage the most muscle uh, and that are actually, you know, we're doing them at least in an, uh, the five to 10 rep range, that's what's gonna be uh, most helpful for stimulating muscle and bone growth. I say that with an asterisk, is that if you do not have a background in weightlifting, this is not, don't just jump on YouTube, watch a video of somebody deadlifting and then go jump out there to try to do that on your own, that could lead to potential injury. But if you get some guidance, you get confident in these things, especially, uh, especially on the younger, uh, in the younger groups, if you're twenties, thirties, forties, if you could develop a passion for this young and you get the right form and body mechanics down now, that's going to do wonders for you later on in life. And a lot of people don't, the people that I work with a lot of times too, if they're in their fifties, sixties, especially when they get to their seventies, they've got daughters. I hear this every day, right? They wish they would have done more to be on the side of prevention and if you're in that age range of 20, 30, 40s, keep your bone health in mind. Do the things now that are going to uh, set you up for an active future. Yeah, I saw a really fascinating graphic on that one time of 
comparing women who had had a lifelong weightlifting hobby or practice um, and showing that even women in their 80s side by side of one who consistently, and it's not like hours a day, we're talking small amounts of weightlifting and ate enough protein and they looked 30 years apart in age. It was really, really drastic. So as a side benefit, these things also seem to have a pretty strong anti-aging effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned people as they get older as well. And I know that that's a much more common demographic for bone loss. And we're seeing that from the statistics I've seen, that's on the rise right now pretty drastically as well. For people listening who are either in that age bracket or have maybe parents or relatives who are, I know I have an extended family member who has been diagnosed with bone loss. What are some of the things they can do? Are they destined to just getting fractures or can some of these things still help kind of improve that trajectory for them? I mean, no matter where someone is at, you can build bone strength at any age. If you remember what I was saying earlier, uh, you know, it just becomes more challenging. You have less bone cells involved in the process as you get older, as you lose more bone, the process of rebuilding becomes less efficient. So the earlier you can do something, the better, but no matter when you start, if you, you know, the starting point, if it's, if we're looking at it as identifying and addressing root cause issues of bone loss nourishing your body and absorbing nutrients and building strength, the body, mind, and bone, you can do those things at any age. So if you've got root cause issues, I, I would encourage people, if you have a parent, right, that maybe, you know, has bone health issues or, and they're just kind of ignoring it or putting it off or not paying attention to it, encourage them to make assumptions or not make assumptions and make objective decisions, right? Encourage them to be their own best advocate and to make sure they have all the information they need to make educated, informed decisions uh, moving forward with a medication, right? That's always going to be proposed by their physicians, but they they can do something else first to see if that's actually the route they need to even go. Because a lot of times it's not. And just figuring out the root cause issues, getting their nutrition plan in place, doing the right things for exercises are all super, super important. Awesome. I've got a lot of notes for you guys listening, wellnessmama.fm. I'm putting them all there along with links to learn more about all of these. For anyone listening who maybe doesn't have an acute problem, but wants to make sure this isn't going to become a problem, you've mentioned some testing, um, but maybe just give us kind of a blueprint for which particular testing at what age is a good point to start. So number one, DEXA scan. There's also another test. Uh, there's also another test out there right now called the REMS test. And this text actually looks at your bone quality and your bone density at the same time. Okay. And that's radio frequency, echographic, multi-spectrometry technology. And what it does is it is going to tell you your bone density, and then it's going to give you a five-year major osteoporotic fracture risk. And it's going to also tell you your bone quality, bone density, bone quality combined to create bone strength. So that you could get that as a baseline. It's more prevalent in Europe, not, not so much here, but it's going to make its way, I think, more into the U.S. here real soon. And then also the CTX test, the bone turnover markers that I talked about earlier, you can get a serum CT low peptide test to just understand what the level of your, your bone breakdown is earlier on. That way, later on in life, you kind of have a benchmark. And then some of the other ones, vitamin D, uh, that's a super important test that we want to make sure we're getting. Uh, look at the 25 hydrox, uh, hydroxy vitamin D. Again, that range is really wide. Normally, if you're in the US, 30 to 100 NGML, a lot of people are on the lower end of that range. We want to bump that up. Uh, we want to bump that up a little bit more. And then obviously the celiac test, checking your gut health. You know, If you've been consuming gluten for 30 days 
and you've got those antibodies present, the TTGIGA test, the ser uh, that's going to be a helpful test to help identify if you have celiac disease. And then also you can get your thyroid testing done. Uh, so you can do a TSH, you can look at your other thyroid markers, including your ferritin too. You want to look at your ferritin. Uh, comprehensive metabolic panel, CBC, and then your PTH, your parathyroid hormone. Okay, this is going to, your, uh, your PTH, you want to look at that in relation to your vitamin D and your, your blood calcium levels, uh, just to make sure you don't have a parathyroid tumor, which could be raking calcium from your bones. Those are some of the, the general basic tests. There are a lot more than that where you can dig, you know, specifically deeper into certain areas based on what those results turn up, but that's a good starting point. Awesome. And I know you have a lot of resources about this. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about any of these specifics or they have an acute problem and want to start working on it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can always find me over at bonecoach.com. That's the easiest place. We also have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all those, all the major channels and a podcast too. So you can always find, find me at bonecoach. And those will be linked to you guys as well at wellnessama.fm so you can find them. And then a couple last questions that I love to ask at the end of interviews. The first being if there's a book or a number of books that have had a profound impact on your life and if so, what they are and why. I would say for me, which is probably an unusual answer, Little Blue Truck, which if you've got moms, you know, listen to this, uh, they might, I'm sure they might be familiar with that book, but, uh, and, and really all the other books that I read to my kids, right? For me, it's not so much, I read leadership and development books and business books and health books and things like that all the time. There are a lot of great ones out there, but in terms of the books I actually care the most about, it would be the ones that I read to my kids at night. Uh, it's because I didn't have that with my dad when I was younger. And really for me, I, I feel blessed to have that opportunity to be the father mine didn't get a chance to be for me. Uh, so those are the best books for me. I love that. That is a new recommendation. I'll make sure that's linked as well. Uh, I understand what you mean about those are some of the most special books. Not that I learned the most from, but that I had the most memories from. For sure. For um, sure. Are there any other things that people don't know or misunderstand about bone health that we haven't already covered today? I don't know. A lot of times I get, I get questions about, you know, extreme, extreme things um, in terms of like, should I never do this again? Or should I, um, like, you know, one of the most common ones I get is coffee and caffeine, for example. Like, do I need to completely stop drinking coffee? Caffeine very slightly increases calcium excretion and decreases uh, GI calcium absorption. Most people do not need to completely avoid coffee. And I typically highlight that as like drink less. Okay. So caffeine intakes greater than 300 milligrams a day. So a cup of coffee usually has what, 100 to 250 milligrams. That increases the amount of calcium extruded in the urine and the risk for osteoporosis related fractures, but only in those who were not meeting adequate daily calcium intake. So that's super important. I think some of the other ones, you know, people always ask me uh, about dairy. You know, it is a rich source of calcium. That is a fact. A little over 30% of calcium is, is, and dairy is absorbed. Ideally, that calcium should be coming, uh, you know, if we're consuming dairy, cultured and fermented dairies. So your kefirs, your yogurts, those could be helpful additions. But at the same time, 
if your dietary approach is like if you have an autoimmune disease, for example, and you're working, trying to put that into remission, dairy is probably not going to be incorporated into that approach. Um, so I th again, it, it comes down to differences for every single person. There are plenty of other ways to get calcium though, without using dairy, uh, edible bones, like we just talked about earlier in sardines. That's a, that's a great way. Cruciferous vegetables, the absorbability of, of, uh, calcium there is pretty high 40 to 60% about, and then it's a lot less as you get into things like spinach, really poor absorbability. Yeah. I would say those are, those are some of the bigger questions that I get, you know, should I incorporate dairy? No, it should not be your only number one source for developing kids. I think it could be helpful. I think a lot of people will be relieved to know that coffee doesn't have to go away entirely. And it sounds like we can popularize sardines and coffee for breakfast and solve those problems. Oh, I'm all about that. <laughs> um, and then lastly, any parting advice could be related to bone health or not. Yeah, I would just say, you know, be kind to yourself. If you've ever been on a health journey uh, at, at all, uh, you know that it can be frustrating. It can be challenging. You try, you know, a lot of different things. They don't work out. You pursue a different path. You invest your time, your energy, you know, all these things into it, and it might not work. Be kind to yourself. Be patient. You know, progress is never perfect, but it's always possible. You need to aim for progress. That's that would be my my thing. I love that. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. And thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really fun deep dive. I know I learned a lot and hopefully our listeners did as well. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Katie. Glad I could, uh, glad I could join and uh, wishing the best for your audience. Thank you. And thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.